Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. All right, hey, here we are. Um, welcome. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've been listening back to some of these podcasts, and I have noticed my Wisconsin accent coming through. Very strongly, yes. That's and, good. And I am going to try to, <laughs> to, to not have that accent. Just got to relax a little more. Yeah, country sure go, go that southern. way um, but you know all the o's and the go and show and matt you say i can't pronounce very simple fourth grade words no no you really <laughs> struggle with that <laughs> um and i think i say i say you know you I know say you know too a lot no you yeah. know you know you also breathe a lot i hear a lot I of breathing i breathe out of you, excessively matt. it's yeah. funny but yeah, so going, you know, going, but we're working through it. Yeah, we'll get there. Good. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to talk and uh, when I can talk normally. Uh, this is this has been a lot of fun. I've, we've heard some good feedback too. So thank you for everybody who's been listening. Yeah. You're not going to be able to change your accent. It's I not going to happen. I am going it to let people know that you're authentic. Yeah. But I don't want to be a <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. So are there any anything that you want to talk about, Annie? I have a, have a topic that I'd like to yeah, talk no, about. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. My topic was my Midwestern accent okay. that I'm trying to hide. There it I is. don't know. How you how do you stop that? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you just overdo it so much. Overdo. From, yeah. Oh From Minnesota. Maybe. Move to a different country for a while. Yeah. You could pick up one of theirs. I know where I won't be going. <laughs> anyway. So I thought Pastor Bill had a, a great sermon. We've been going through the Ten Commandments, and it was on the Fourth Commandment, at least how we follow the, the, the order in the Ten Commandments. Do you realize that people order them differently? No, I yeah. Now that you're saying that, well, I'm confused because okay. I, I don't... Can you explain that? Because, yeah. Yes. So the Ten Commandments, I think, are pretty clear when you look at the context in Exodus 20, how they should be numbered. But for whatever reason, St. Augustine... In the third century, he combined what most people see as the first and the second commandment: "You shall have no other gods, and you and uh, do not make graven images," and made that the first commandment. And then, "You shall not covet." Split that into two commandments: "You shall not covet your 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 neighbor's spouse," and then, "You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, workers, and anything that belongs to your neighbor." So, we come out of the Lutheran Reformation, and so Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk and following the Catholic ordering or numbering of the the Ten Commandments, that's why we have this kind of strange numbering, which I don't know. It's been 500, well, been almost 2,000 years, reach back to Augustine. I don't think we're going to be able to change that, but it always trips you out. Because I'm sick of always explaining it, too. You always have to explain. Now, we number it this way, but most evangelicals or more other people number it this way, which is more logical, but yeah. I mean, it's all covered regardless, right? So I guess yeah, it's. Know. I mean, and in, in the in the context, it just says the ten words. These are the, the the ten words. So it doesn't really say what how they should be numbered, uh, the ten statements. But it's pretty clear, I think, that we messed that one up. So, <laughs> so anyways, you're gonna get kicked out. Yeah, the numbering that we use. This would be the fourth commandment, um, or the fifth commandment if you use logic. Uh, Honor your father and mother so that it may or so that you may live a long life in the land the Lord your God has given you. And I think in Deuteronomy it says, so that you uh, may enjoy uh, a long life. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about authority, not just parent parental authority, but also governmental authority. That's something that's pretty uh challenging to, to follow because it says in Romans chapter 13, Paul's writing to the Romans, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. See so them about governmental authorities. You think about parental authorities, um, bosses. all, yeah, bosses. And he says, we should all submit to our governing authorities so that leads to a lot of questions, right? 
especially we have a war going on in Ukraine. We have, you know, if you think about maybe your own upbringing, do we always want to listen to our parents? Is that always wise? So I, I think we go a lot of different ways, but any, any first jabs at how do you guys look at authority and should we follow authority and when do you not follow authority? And you said when I brought this up that you like, I go against authority. So I'm going to struggle with this anyways, but that's what you told well, me. Well, I, I did say that, but I, I mean, I think there's a time and a place for it. I don't think I rebel just to rebel. Mm. <laughs> hey, hey, quiet. I, I think, I, I don't know. I've always been someone who I either respects authority or is just is scared enough of it to, to just always follow it. You wouldn't say you challenge authority? Like even just through, I mean, you, you know, you're a deep thinker, I think. And so, I mean, does that not ever come at least, maybe not mm. challenge, like, you know, uh, uh, but in your head, do you not sort Question through? them? Yeah, question. Yeah. Their, yeah. No, I'm definitely smarter than them. Oh, here but, we go. But it's a, it's, it's a question of just like, to me, it's just like, this is, this is where you are. Like, um, if you're a student or you're an employee and it's like, this is where you are, your boss has something for you to do and you might think it's stupid, but you have to do it. Or this is the law. And so like, if you're driving down the highway and you're speeding and you're going five over and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to get pulled over because everybody's going five over. It doesn't really matter. You might think it's stupid if you got pulled over, but. To me, it's like, yeah, well, that you know, you th this is what you signed up for. Right. You right? made the choice to do this, right? right? And so whether or not it's enforced, whether or not you think it's a good idea, you, you broke the law, they have every right to pull you over. So do you always follow the orders? I guess that's the kind of the thing. No, um, it's, it's kind of a conundrum. Yeah, I think that's why I want to talk about it. You know, when do you, when is authority a good thing? Do you follow it even if you don't agree with, with, people in authority. And Luther's got a great quote in his large catechism when he's talking on about the fourth commandment. He says, young people must therefore have it impressed upon them that they should look up to their parents as representatives of God and bear in mind that however humble, poor, infirm, or eccentric they may be, our father and mother are nevertheless God's gift to us. And so we should always, um, you know, he says, uh, they are not to be robbed of their honor because of their um, their peculiar uh, habits and their failings. So, you know, that's interesting that we should respect our parents no matter what. And, you know, he's also extending that to authorities, even if we, if they're peculiar and strange. I think yes, in some regards, but what happens when you have an abusive parent or somebody, you know, or, or, you know, in a domestic situation that, you know, husband and wife, let's say, and the husband is abusive or whatever. I mean, you, I mean, how can you, so is that the line? That would be the line is when it gets abusive. Well, I think in that in that circumstance or when, you know, when maybe a, a neglectful, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the lines are a little blurred, but, you know, if you're not meeting the basic needs at the very least, yeah, that's how can you be? Tr I mean, how can, how is somebody supposed to trust you if, if you're not even meeting their basic needs and they can't help themselves? I don't know. Yeah. I think that's that's the hard thing is I mean you all go through that phase when you're as kids you you think your parents don't you know I thought Pastor Bill should have walked out to Parents Just Don't Understand by Will Smith yes <laughs> for yes. The, for the fourth commandment but you know there's a point where you you think your parents don't know anything at all and so why would I listen to them and Luther's saying you know God we should always consider them God's gift to us even when they're they have their own peculiar Peculiar. Arities. There you go. We're, we're going to give you another shot at <laughs> that. <Go for> it. <laughs> so even when they have their, their problems, you know, when they're eccentric, that we should uh, accept them, be thankful for them. Is he going too far with that, or do you think he's right? Well, I think naturally a parent has more life experience right. than a child, and so that's something that, I think that children have to understand and I think that parents have to understand too and maybe not take offense to their kids sometimes and just say this is a lack of experience here talking you know and 
Yeah, I, I I think that was something that Pastor Bill brought out is that, you know, one of the best things you can do for your parents is forgive them, right? Oh, yes. That mm-hmm. they're probably, in most cases, unless there's some really major sinful or emotional issues, they're probably trying the best they can, and they're still working through their own selfishness also. And I was just struck by that, how he just came out and said, the best thing you can do, and I'm just thinking of how many things our kids are going to have to forgive us for at times when we were selfish or or just you know, didn't, didn't see what our kids were struggling with, or maybe had wrong assumptions. Uh, we've seen a pattern of them acting a certain way. So we assume they're doing it the same way instead of actually listening and being aware of, of them, uh, in this particular situation. So, yeah. I think also though, um, that you can't, um, you can't take what Luther is saying as, as gospel, right? Because I think that's a time where a time in history where, where children are to be seen and not heard. Mm. And there's there at, at, uh, I mean, what is that? 1500 ish. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not really a concept of like childhood or like developmental stages. It's like, you're a little adult and we're trying to grow you into a big adult so that you can be useful. Um, and so then it, then it does all become about like, follow your parents. They will lead you into adulthood mm-hmm. and less of an emphasis of, well, if I'm too mean, is my kid going to grow up to be jaded and resentful? Yeah. You know, um, so I don't know. I mean, that, 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 that's a discussion that's that's come to light in recent years more. But I, I would I would I would be cautious against just taking Luther's word on always, always respect. <sighs> I don't know because there's too much variety in parenting styles or just too much. No, well, I think I think what you were saying is a valid point of like the I mean it's it's tragic when a child has a um a really bad situation at home but but so so when when do they when do they get to stop listening to their parents and um I don't know. I mean, who can who can really intervene like if you're imprinting all of this on the child and and the parents are supposed to be the ones they can trust and go to with anything and they just aren't. Yeah. I think that just brings up the need for all of us to be aware when we're You're around. not ki- doing well enough, parents. Well, I've said it before. I'm saying it again. <laughs> parents be better. Yeah. I mean, if there are real abusive, neglectful situations that we as a community of believers and community of, of just humans just need to be aware if a kid finally gets the courage to make an outcry of some kind that we are there to listen to them and to help them as, in any way that we can. It's interesting that Luther wrote that because I know he had a very difficult childhood where you'd surprise he doesn't lash out because, uh, you know, he, he did get beaten quite a bit as a kid and, and talks about how hard but, that was. But was that out of the ordinary? Probably not. Probably not. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. But we use this book, The Large Catechism, to kind of teach, not not as much anymore, but I think as a, as a rule or a guide rule to teach on how we should in, understand and interpret these commandments. And so it's interesting that he says, you know, to, I think it's still generally good that we should respect and honor our parents, no matter how eccentric they might be and how strange or whatever, uh, to see that they are God's gift to us, that you'll never be able to repay your parents for the, the, uh, what they've done for you. Maybe, maybe, Nowadays, people are a lot more isolated mm-hmm. in the sense that you are not expected to socialize. I mean, your child can stay home if they want all the time. Right. But in a community with a, a school and a church, yeah. hopefully you're seeing other examples of healthier parenting. And on one hand, you can you can shame your parents into doing a better job <laughs> with that. But on the on the other hand, and on the other hand, the kid would know. They would hopefully know, hey, why is my situation so much worse than all my friends? And then that would that would at least get them thinking that this isn't normal and something should change. When it comes to now turn to the government, do you just follow your orders when it comes to the government that whatever the government says goes? Here's what came to my mind when we were initially a couple of days ago when you brought this up was the January 6th. Okay. You know, you know, 
and what happened on january 6th that was the the well i don't know how, what you the insurrection i don't know what you want to call it well, you know, whatever you call it but the, the storming know, of the capital the storming of the capital oh that was like last year it was yeah right? sorry yeah. so january 6th 2021 and these people i think truly felt that it was uh you know, going against their conscience and that they needed to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I I personally don't think that that is the right way to go about doing things. Um, I don't always agree with our government. So I don't know, but that it made me think like, is it, was that okay? You right. know, because we're going, you know, they're, they're obviously all, all riled up about their conscience and whatever, and they feel like this is the right thing to do, but that doesn't necessarily make it right. Right. I do believe that it's such a blessing that we do have a process to yes. make complaints, elect new officials. There's quick turnover. It can be a problem because it's you know before a, a politician can ever make any headway, they they, they can get uh, you know they they already have to be trying to get elected again. But um, th- there at least isn't a process to try to. Uh, make changes if you disagree with how the government is running things that's not how it is you know in the rest of the world you just have to follow what your orders are or what you're being told right so and then when you see crazy amounts of corruption which i thought in the past we were maybe i was just too naive like we were able to cover it up better and now it maybe just more access to more information or maybe just so much out there it just seems like we're not even good at covering up our own corruption as much and paul here writing to the romans that's a very corrupt government uh, and he is still saying submit to your governing authorities uh, they were established by god um, even with all of their flaws they're still god's messengers or god's called servants and, and he call he calls them uh, and they carry out justice, and they have the power of the sword to keep the peace. So I think that's just a, a challenging thing to think about today because there's so many things that we're struggling with that maybe disagree on what the government is doing from, from both sides of the aisle. But, um, but that brings up, that brings up a, a question of, well, I mean, you, you kind of already said, where do you draw the line? But I, I think it's easy to look at like a, a bunch of people storming the Capitol and thinking, well, like those people are crazy. Of course you weren't there. Um, and, and there's, there's, there's never, there's, I mean, say that there's usually not like a clear shift between something when, the, when, when the government starts doing something that's okay versus when the government starts doing something that's, oh, that's blatantly wrong. It's, it's always on a sliding scale. Yeah. And so the stronger your beliefs are, on one extreme, the earlier you're going to start rebelling. Mm-hmm. And then there's us in this room who maybe don't consider ourselves like radicals. Mm-hmm. But, but when do you do something? Is it ever right to do something? Right. Is any, no government's perfect, obviously, but this is a, this is a big question of, of, of morality and, and religious, ext- uh, um, I don't want to say extremists, but just religious people in general is they'll, they'll say like, well, the government has mandated this. I won't do it. Um, I'm sure there's some people that think that vaccines are, are evil. And they're saying, well, it's hurting my child. And we call those people anti-vaxxers and it's funny to make jokes about them, but they actually believe what they're saying. And, and what do you believe and what are you willing to stand up for? Or is it just like, I'll just go along and I think that's the question because I don't want to look stupid. There are, yeah, and and the, controlling that narrative from both sides uh, on on how you look at those things and when do you stand up? When is it okay to stand up? I, I'm I'm thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've mentioned him before, but he was that Lutheran pastor that finally said, "No, I'm not going to follow what Hitler says." In fact, as a Lutheran pastor, he tried to assassinate Hitler. And when do you take that step? When do you when do you see because there's a lot of Christians and Lutherans uh, in Germany who said, you know, yeah, the the Nazis are bad, but as long as we kind of keep connected with them, we can still influence them, and they're supporting our churches still, and if we don't have their support, our churches are going to close. I mean, this conundrum, and it was still early on, they, they didn't 
so many of the horrible things they were doing were done in secret or they changed the narrative so well uh, to be able to control what people are thinking. So I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, is there a time where you have to, where you have to fight against the government uh, and, and, or, or you don't listen or you, you, so that I think is maybe there's no clear answer right now. I, it always kind of goes back to what Peter says in Acts where Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. And if you can, point out through scripture and with your conscience that this is an area where I'm being mandated to do something against what God's word says, well, then I'm going to stand up and fight. So I think something that has been helpful for me, um, because I, I do consider myself to be kind of middle of the road. I like to try to assume the best out of our politicians that they, you know, that they're working with the intention of, you know, helping the people. And I may have said this before and, Really, the only my hope is that the only difference between at least the two major our two major political parties is that the just the methods that they're going about it are are different. But my hope is that they're both trying to help humanity and mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. And I know there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of yeah. money and power and things like that. But um, that has helped me. You know, maybe just keep my irritations in check if I yeah. say like, okay you know, look at it like that. Right. Yeah. I think that that's a good way to look at it. And that's the way you hope it is. I I think, you know, to be, Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves when you're, when you're dealing with people. And, uh, so it's an interesting topic. I, I I think we're gonna have to keep on asking the question. Um, it's probably more of a day to day thing or a week to week thing. Sometimes, you know, I think for the most part, we want to follow what the government says as, um, God-given leaders over us. That's what Jesus did even when he followed this government that crucified him, um, but then followed Jesus as our ultimate king. There, there's another kind of thing that's connected to that that, uh, if you don't mind, I maybe could dovetail with it. Um, it's the fifth commandment. I'll be preaching on that this weekend um, or Which six, one is that? whatever you want. <laughs> you shall not murder, right? Okay. And uh, however you want to number that one. But that kind of leads to the point of, you know, why is human life so valuable? Why, why, shouldn't, we, why shouldn't we murder? Uh, what, what's really the reason? If you look at maybe a Darwinian idea of how the world got here, what's so special about humans? When do, when do they become complex enough that you say, no, this is the line we draw? Uh, I think there's been a coyote crisis right now in Mequon area. Coyotes are taking out dogs. You know, like... Don't ask, don't look for nature to tell you not to, to eat your own, right? Because nature doesn't seem to care about that. So why, why is it wrong to murder? And uh, is there a logical reason why we say you shall not murder? And, and, so I, and that brings up, you know, is there a difference between killing and murdering? We think about what's going on in, 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 uh, right now in Europe as well. Uh, many, a lot of people are losing their lives. And when does it become a war crime? When does it become a crime against humanity? So what do you guys think? How do you find, why, why is human life valuable? Why should we take care of it? Why is it wrong to murder? And give me a, a real reasonable reason for that. No idea. Well, no. I think, and I've, I've had to say, I've said this to people, like there will never be another you. Okay. There will never be another me. Okay. There will never be another anybody. Okay. You know? So the uniqueness of, you know, creation Okay. But isn't there, couldn't you say that for, there's never going to be another buffalo that I'm going <laughs> to eat? Suppose. There's never going to be. Well, that paired paired with. Why human... did you go for buffalo? I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was that the animal you picked? I just think that they're big Aren't and delicious. Big endangered they're or something? Delicious. I don't know. They're big and delicious. <laughs> it's a good, uh, it's a good low, low, uh. low I don't know. Lean meat. Lean yeah, meat. sure. But, but so, okay, yes, I agree with that. But that uniqueness paired with the complexity of mm-hmm. human life, I think. Mm-hmm. When is capital punishment okay then? So w- <laughs> what I... <laughs> hey, Matt. <laughs> that's that's good. I mean, I think this is where I think the Bible has the most unique answer on this. And if you don't have the scriptures, I don't know how you come up with the answer without the scriptures. 
Uh, so it's in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood account. Um, and it says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and every creature that moves along the ground. And in all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Every living thing that moves, lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you every green plant, I now give you everything. So before that, he commanded in Genesis um, 1, he commanded that they can eat every green plant. So it seems like they were mostly vegetarian. But now he says, anything that lives, I give you now as food. But you must not eat meat that still has his lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, for humans, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So if an animal kills a human or if a human kills a human, then you have this little um, little poem here. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply the earth and increase upon it. So he says, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For the, in the image of God, God has made mankind. So I think the Christian answer would be that humans are made in the image of God, that they are made special and unique, uh, that they're made to reflect God, to be God's representatives, as a matter of your mental capacity, whether you can pronounce fourth grade let or fourth grade <laughs> vocabulary. You can do it back. Yeah, you that's right. Faith in you. And it doesn't matter that you have value and worth and you deserve special protection. And so I think Christians would say that nature should be preserved and taken care of. We have responsibility to nature and to the animals, but we have rights that are given to humans. And if you don't have that verse in the Bible, I don't know how else you come up with the idea that human beings should have special value or protection because we're not necessarily the biggest part of creation. We're not necessarily all, all of us the smartest part of creation, uh, including me, right? Or or um, we're not necessarily uh, the most beautiful necessarily, right? Uh, but we would say that person who's, no matter how big or how small, how intelligent, that, that person has value because you're a human being. Can you come up with any other reason why humans should be protected? Well, I mean, you, you can always say that Jesus bought you with blood. Right. But... Kind of important. Yeah, that's that's important. But um, so is it? I mean, so then is it right to kill someone who has killed somebody else? I think there is a an accounting whether you whether you carry out what it says here in um, in Genesis nine. You know, I've heard different th- things on this where capital punishment uh, costs more money it than does. than yeah. than than uh, putting somebody in. Um, for life. Okay, life. how does that make any sense though? No, I thought this I thought the same thing, but so I have my I have my associate's degree in criminal justice, but one of the things that they that they say is when you're on death row, essentially you are constantly fighting appeal, like, you know, appeals it's taking up time in the courts, lawyers, things like that. So oh. the actual cost of because I mean, they probably really want to make sure that you are before killing you, they want to make sure that you are guilty um so yeah people spend a lot of time fighting it before Mm. actually being and the court system you know like the lawyers know how to drag it out and things like that so i I do think that the cost is higher and it's counterintuitive you would think that to keep somebody sustained in prison for life would be more costly but well there you go you all learned something new today you're welcome unless that's changed that i mean it's been a while there's been i was trying to look up the article um interesting development and i think it's in boston that doesn't have the death penalty there not there was at least talks i don't know if this happened or not but remember the boston marathon bombing that they were looking to roll that back and make a special case to give this person the death penalty Mm. for his uh, you know that malicious intent uh premeditated disregard for human life so um you know, it, it there's a lot of different debate on whether whether you should carry it out or whether whether this is 
good or bad. I do wonder when it comes to a hardened criminal who, uh, who with malicious intent, and it's a clear-cut case, uh, whether, you know, you have biblical grounds for it, definitely, but whether it's smart or wise, whether it's, um, that's a whole nother debate when it comes to how our whole court system works. Um, and there's also been plenty of cases where it has, you find out later through DNA testing that this person was innocent. What, if you flip it around though, um, it gives us an ethic for life that human beings are the most precious commodity in the world. They, they're the thing that we should look at with incredible honor and value and do everything we can to protect human life at every stage, at every capacity, whatever what your talents are, what your so-called usefulness. And uh, it gives a very clear, I think, ethic and, and really a core value for human beings if you have that biblical worldview. Matt, you're deep in thought over there. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to say. Okay. Oh, boy, that was I, climactic. <laughs> so that's kind of what I want to focus on, and and that and I think that's why it's so troubling to see the carnage that's going on right now in in Ukraine, um, and and that's why uh, we're so saddened by, especially when innocent civilians get killed and are caught in the crossfire, uh, because deep down we all know this biblical doctrine that human life is different than any other life. Not that not that other life shouldn't be protected, but if you if, if you don't have this, um, be consistent. Then you know what what life don't you take, you know. Well, maybe that's an answer to the initial thing. You know, the initial when when do you start rebelling against the government? I mean, what we should talk about is should we not rebel against Vladimir Putin? I mean, like, is this not somebody that should not be? I mean, we sh- shouldn't be listening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I think I'm guessing that there are a lot of people in Russia who don't, you know, would like to see this overthrown. I mean, Uh, Jesus didn't rebel against the Romans though. And they were oppressing the Jews. That is, that is the big concern on, on a, on a global scale right now. How do you stop this? When does it become too much? When does the whole world step in? Are we ready to, to fight a, a world war over a guy who, um, it is is killing innocent civilians, right? Yeah. Right, and I mean, and just hurting the global economy. I mean, but if you look at yeah, just the citizens themselves. Yeah. I guess that's why. Yeah, I think you need a biblical worldview. I, I don't try any other way of looking at human life and try to come up with a reason why we should preserve life, and I don't think you're going to find one. Um, maybe we think well it's not nice or it's not convenient or it's not good for society, but these are all, you you can't come up with a command. Don't do this. This is wrong because there's no other way to put special value. Why are we more precious than anything else on earth? And then yeah, yeah. Then I think doing everything we can to preserve life at every level all over the globe. um, And what's cool about this command too, he says, instead of shedding blood, he says, as for you, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply, and fill the earth. In other words, make more life. You know, that's the opposite. That's who God is. God is one who wants to create life and, and have life flourish and, and prosper. And the devil, Jesus says, came to, to kill and steal and destroy. And, and so, yeah, that, I think that's when you start rebelling against governments. I think that's when you, you start fighting wars over that. And you talk to soldiers— that's really why they get into the military is to preserve life, not to take it. They are there to protect life. They really, for the, all the soldiers I have talked to, get into to war uh, or get into to, to the military because they have this deep desire to do good and, and protect life. It seems like there's almost more of a biblical precedent for things like harboring refugees or like helping sick, wounded, displaced people than actually rising up and trying to assassinate someone like Vladimir Putin. Mm. Um, I think that's what's so. That's what the biblical worldview does give you. A, I think both, right? If you shed blood, by humans' blood you shall be shed. Right? You know, whoever sheds human blood 
by humans shall their blood be shed for the in image of God God has made mankind so um yeah we want life to flourish we want to protect life protect the vi- victims um harbor them uh lead them to flourish but stop the enemies stop those who are doing what is wrong and stand up to them yeah i think uh we do both i don't think christianity is necessarily a pacifist religion i'm going to can i can i switch gears this is not the next topic but it's related yes. sure bring um, on this is a fairly prominent um atheist philosoph- philosophy on the matter is um the, the, the question is not, um, is it a human life? The question is, uh, can it suffer? And so you can justify things like abortion and euthanasia, but it also gives you, mm. it also gives you an appreciation for nature, I think. And Are you talking about Pete Singer? Is that the philosopher? I th- I'm, I'm going to look he? it up, actually. I'm thinking of J- Jeremy, I think Jeremy like Bentham or something like that. Okay. Who's the guy you're thinking of? He's a he's a prominent atheist. I think I'm saying his name right. Probably okay. is wrong, no, knowing right. me. But he no, just fine. basically is saying uh, life is only life if it's useful. And and yeah, and so if it's not useful, uh, you he actually talks about um, yeah if it's painless, even right. a, after a child is born, uh, you can you can dispose of it. Um, all right, I found the quote. Okay. Um, Who the, is this? Jeremy. So Jeremy Bentham from okay. his books, uh, his book, Introduction to the Principles of Morals and Legislation from 1789. Okay. The question is not can they reason nor can they talk, but can they suffer? Why should the law refuse its protection to any sensitive being? So it, that quote would suggest that it's you're actually extending the protection uh, uh, not restricting it. And so you're going to use that to say like, maybe we don't commit cruelties on animals and, and things like that, which, um, I can think about a hundred holes in that argument, you know, can it suffer? Like, yeah, animals can suffer. I mean, even, even some plants will kind of move away from their predators and they'll, and they'll, and they'll put up protective shields on their, you know, uh, to not be eaten by animals, you know, so can it suffer? I just, I, I believe what God calls valuable, what, what he says is valuable will give you a, a very, a, a much clear ethic. Um, and then we have a responsibility to not be cruel to animals, obviously to take care of them, to make sure they're flourishing. Uh, but we're also going to prioritize human life at every stage because we see that they're made in the image of God. So I, I just, I, I, I think any other way to look at human beings, man, you can justify so many different things. And then also something that's going on, can it suffer as if do no harm or don't allow anything ever to suffer is the only goal of life, that everyone should always be happy or, or not suffer. I think that's not necessarily a good thing to be teaching our because. Sometimes through hard things and through suffering, I don't know how else you're going to learn um, and to try to insulate anyone from any kind of harm or suffering all the time, uh, I don't think is an, an, an ethic that's going to create dirt people yeah, but strong. He, I don't think he's trying to use it as a, as a replacement for um, the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to use it as a template for for what should we be teaching people? What should our, what, what uh, should our laws reflect and our ethics? Yeah. And so, but even a slug is going to recoil from any kind of pain, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, that, that, so, so then you would say like, don't go around like just trying to like crush animals. And it's, I, you know, I think the implication, because that, I don't. I don't think that atheists have a strong view of good. Like, there's no absolute morality. It's a, it's a direction to go in. Mm-hmm. It's do what you can to not bring suffering to other things. And as humans, seeing as you're the most evolved thing, mm-hmm. and sort of the smartest, you take it on yourself to be the the bigger person, so to speak. Yeah. 
Annie, so, I saw you kind of taken back by the idea of that is is taking away suffering the only goal, or I don't know. What do you think on that? I it was just interesting, but uh, so uh, wait, so Matt, what you were saying? Do, does this guy is he therefore supporting things like abortion by saying we acknowledge that it is a human in there, but it's not suffering. Is that kind of the idea? I, that I do not know. Okay. This is from 1789. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, atheists using this, are people using this type of yes. argument? And in other words, saying we acknowledge that there's life there. For, for all I know, Jeremy Bentham could be Christian. Well, I, I don't know. Okay. Um, he, he's, he's just using, he's just philosophizing about how, on what grounds do we create moral value and, and, and law. I see. Mm-hmm. But, but atheists have since taken that. Of course, atheists don't acknowledge um, God as the ultimate giver of life, and they don't acknowledge good and evil. They're saying, how do we make the best world, and and what moral responsibility do do we have? So let's point in the direction of minimizing suffering, and and you know, of course, there's all the arguments for abortion, and you, maybe you're gonna ruin the life of the mother or end the life of the mother or something right, like that right, but it right. doesn't it doesn't that's a whole nother topic but yeah well, um, i was just wondering if that was kind of the basis of because you know a lot of times there's debate about when does when does the life begin and that's right. kind of where that that whole thing starts but then if if people acknowledge that there is in fact life yeah. and then but they just say well it's not suffering so therefore it's okay to dispose right and that's it. that's the basis yeah. of the argument is that is that if you're if if I'm an atheist, you can you can get me to admit that that is a child, that right. it is a human being, right? And I would say okay, but I I don't have then that that threshold of okay, well it's intrinsically valuable. I would no. say right. look at the whole situation. It could actually cause a ton of suffering in other people's lives if we let this child live or something like that. Yeah. Right, and that's I guess that's wh- why I think that can be dangerous because yeah, Ooh, maybe yeah. maybe somebody who has like. If you tell somebody, oh, your child is going to be born with special needs, that's going to cause a lot of suffering in your life. You don't want to have suffering in your life. And so let's get rid, you know. And I the think, child will suffer too. But it's still, a, man. But they, they, there's no there's no heaven and hell. There's no right. good and evil. It's, You're just talking from I that wanna, perspective. Do I right. want to bring a broken, handicapped person into the world? It'll make my life harder. It'll make their life harder. They will never be fully accepted. Right. They will never reach the potential that all of their peers can reach. And why would I want to do that to somebody? And that's when, that's why I think the Christian witness is so beautiful because it's, it is about suffering, you know, greater love has no other than this than you lay down your life for your friends. I'm just so humbled and inspired by families who take on, uh, situations with special needs. And, and man, some of my, you know, so that favorites in the church, my favorite, uh, people in this congregation are a few with special needs. Uh, Sweet Caroline, that's Caroline Los. She just is the most amazing person. Gives me a hug every time I see her, and and um and just and Kyle also Kyle Moon. You know they are just incredible human beings. And yes, you think about the the challenges and the maybe not seemingly normal that some of these families have gone through, but they have taken a view that this life is precious, a gift of God, and it's just such a. It is a different way. So if if you think, well, is I'm going to choose whatever keeps me from suffering, that's so different than what Jesus says that life is about our sacrifice. A gr- greater love is nothing this than I make sacrifices, and I think it creates a a whole way to to look at the world. I'm going to run away from anything that's hard for me, and. Um, and that's just my own happiness and least amount of suffering possible, and I'm going to get rid of anything that gets in the way of that. It's just such a selfish way to live. What's so amazing about Christians, when the Christian movement began, it was very common in Roman culture to expose children you don't like or didn't want or whatever. You would just leave them in the river, expose them out, and they would just die uh, of of starvation. And Christians would pick them up out of the rivers, pick them up. They would feed them. They started the first orphanages because they saw them as, as as human beings made in the image of God. So that's the kind of world that I think Christians want to want to live in. I think it's in Denmark. They were celebrating. Um, it was one of those. Uh, I think it was Denmark. Just celebrating that they have 
almost a 0% um, Down syndrome population. Well, why was that? Because so many people are getting abortions. So they're celebrating they don't have this in their, in their country, but why was that? Because of the incredible selfishness. So, Yikes. Yeah. So I, I just, again, to spin on the other side, God says, now be fruitful, multiply, flourish, make sacrifices for the flourishing of your children, for the flourishing of the next generation. Um, that's a way different way to look at than control. And, and, then, and then there are real evil people in this world, like a Putin, like a Hitler, like a whatever, that need to be stopped. And stopping hardened people who have no signs of repentance, no signs of change, no signs of hope, um, is is also part of a hero's job, a, a Christian's job, is to stop the villain. So maybe that's when the when it's okay to yeah rebel against the government. Yeah, <laughs> when you got a villain. Yeah, yeah, a true a true villain, not yeah. just a, I don't agree with you, right? Because I don't agree with your right. Yep. Yeah. Any other things that are on your mind map? Yes. Okay. Um, the invention of waffles. Seriously, though, who is who? Because you start with the pancake. I'm assuming you have to start with the pancake. And you're like, well, this is fine. It's easy to make. It's easy to eat. But gee, I wish it were rectangular with with little. Do you not like the waffle? Cubicle syrup receptacles Mm. baked into it. You have to invent a whole separate iron to do that. Yeah. Who is making a waffle iron thinking, well, gee, I love pancakes. But what if it was grid shaped? So why are you Good against shapes. why are you against the waffle? <laughs> I, I'm not against it. I'm just like, where did that come from? Oh, I think why? it's a great event, invention. It's it's fun, but but who who invented it and why? I just have questions. That's I just want to ask some questions. There's got to be a different recipe, right? I mean, like the right. It is a little bit. Yeah, the recipe is a little bit different. different. How are they different? I don't know. I yeah, right. So, you, but you, but you were ready up. to say that they were different, hoping I, that I, I wouldn't. I think you so you have. I think you put more oil and more eggs in a waffle. Because it needs to be a little sturdier. Oil and eggs are both liquids. How would they make that They're sturdier? They're binding agents. They're binding agents. No, that's not. Let the woman tell you about the cooking. See, here we go. <laughs> no, that's just not right. I was gonna joke that you were gonna say something about Oreos or something today, and it was waffles. So it's that's worse. what. Yeah, it's even worse. <laughs> it's that's not. So actually, what do you prefer? Do you prefer a pancake or a waffle? I don't know. I don't eat breakfast very much. I, so some people are big fans of like the American breakfast. I, I I'm just not. Maybe because every time I order it at a restaurant, I'm always disappointed. It's like sad and it doesn't taste like very much. And it's what kinda, is your diet? Um, tr- truth, obviously. Oh boy. No. Um. You are full of it today. Oh, today is just a bad full day. Full of truth. You're I just, always am. Yeah, you are what is, you eat. Today is worse than usual. <laughs> Uh, mostly rice and beans and and and, and Doritos, Doritos and cookies too, and monster drinks. Uh that that makes up a significant portion of my you intake. Just have water yes. too, that's good. I have water as a chaser, so the caffeine doesn't hit so fast. Annie, do you need a a diet that's like? Do you like to have lots of different things, or can you eat the same thing every day? Do you get bored of food? Yes and no. I can eat the exact same thing every day for years. And that's the big debate in our house. Like Emily, I have it like she said, we just had that last week. Last week, I've been eating the same thing for breakfast and lunch for three months. I have the same recipe. Um, and I've been making it for like a year and a half now. Yeah. And I'll make it like once a week and I'll eat it probably like at least once a day. Yeah. I don't I don't think you need variety. No. Most most civilizations, most cultures throughout history ate like like one food group and that that's it. Whatever so. viewership we had on this podcast just dropped significantly just when we started the waffle we're conversation. Sh- we're shaming you for <laughs> Well, I wanna know like I do now I'm curious. I want to know like what is the difference and where did where did the wa- which came first? I, the pancake or the what maybe the, listen, maybe the waffle came first. But who that you can't have a waffle without a waffle iron. So why would you be like, Well, I wanna make, you know, uh essentially a bread or a, a pastry of some kind except that it 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 needs it needs a grid pattern 
and so it has to be an iron like think about that how hard it is to make it like a pan you just it's everyone's got a pan you can use a pan for 100 things you can only make waffles in a waffle iron i bet the waffle came first all right where did it come from where do you think who invented it I it's European. It's gotta be. I blame. It's Place gotta of be origin, France Sweden. or Belgium. Uh-huh. Oh. Okay. The- oh, Belgian waffle. waffle. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. History. Which In ancient times, Greeks cooked flat cakes. Yeah, called oh, a pancake. Pancakes. Oh yeah. darn. And then, they it preceded the Middle Ages. What? Yeah. But th- but not the waffle though. How did you? There was communion waffle irons. That's how it started. What? Communion wafers. This brings it back to a cr- Christian podcast right here. We're talking. <laughs> so, okay. So you, 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 you have an iron because then you put and you flatten it out and then and it you cooks and very crispy. Yeah. You make a, here's the image. You make these little communion wafers. That's how it started. Ew. So was it like a press? Like you put the batter and then instead of a grid, it would actually like punch out like little squares kind of. That looks like it's got Is designs that, on it. It's a design. I think oh. you just poured it on there, and then it cooked, and then you flipped it out. Is this a one-sided So it's like a was, stamp. Yeah. Maybe somebody was concerned that the syrup was escaping the pancake or flowing off. It just soaks in, though. It does. It just soaks in. Depending on how much you use. I'm, I'm not anti-waffle. I just... Sounds like it, you are. It sounds like there's a pretty long history with waffles. Going back... That's we're fascinating. Talking the 9th century, 9th and 10th centuries... They were making communion waffle irons. That's what it wow. was. Communion wafers. So when did the so the pancake? Do you think pancakes came after? Because that seems like such a farm food to me. Like you just whip it up in the morning. You just whip up batter in the morning and you throw it in the pan and then you go out and milk cows or whatever. Well, you're probably right. Hold on, pancake. This is origin. very instructive. I'm glad I showed up today. Six six hundred BC, first <laughs> ancient Greeks again. Man, Greeks in their breakfast. They, 600 BC, the first recorded mention of pancakes, ancient Greeks. Wow. That's got to be like one of the also, oldest. Strove Tuesday, pancake day, becomes a traditional way to use dairy products before Lent. The pancake breakfast is born. Fascinating. 1100 AD is the first when they use it okay there you go okay so now i have a less serious topic to ask you guys about how could it be less, less serious, serious? Oh. and my my question is this um what do you do or what do you tell people who are feeling like like spiritually like deflated or like you you just you just you just feel like i'm not i'm not basically I'm not a good enough Christian. Like, mm-hmm. you know, here's this example of Jesus and he yeah. literally died for people. He was out there talking to people all the time. And like, I go to work and then I yeah. made Kent home and I ate and I read a book and I'm going to bed and gee, I didn't do much. Yeah. Had pancakes in the morning. I felt that last, I mean, actually, it was actually a couple of weeks ago. I'd asked the question, you know, like, what are you filling yourself up with? I find that when I'm, you know, I, I get on these kicks where I'm reading a lot of secular books, look, listening to a lot of secular podcasts, um, you know, just going to my, going to my gym, doing, I mean, as a pastor, I, I just, for whatever reason, I get on that, that kick of just learning a specific topic or, or something. And all of a sudden I feel like, wow, I feel really empty and I feel I have a lack of purpose. I don't really feel like I have a deep connection with God and Sometimes it's just I need to re-engage with creation that God created this world, re-engage with the world and see see it for what it really is. I need to re-engage my faith, re-engage my prayer life. And so it usually is you are what you eat, you are what you listen to, you are what you're putting in your 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 brain. And if you are just getting up, going to work, clocking it in, and you're just kind of going through the motions, I don't know how else, of course you're gonna have that kind of empty feeling inside. Is that a fair feeling to have? I mean, okay, because people are always like, your emotions are valid, which, uh, I mean, you dissect that phrase, it doesn't make any sense, but let's just say, it. so, I mean, what do you do about feeling that way? Because you don't want to feel that way, 
but are you feeling that way for a good reason or is it just because you're you are having a, you have human emotions that go up and down and no I, I i think you're triggered by the things that you are filling yourself up with so if you want you know jesus says where your treasure is there your heart will be also what are you treasuring right now what what are you putting your your energy your money your time your focus in uh if you if you're putting it in things that are that are so temporary and so empty without a bigger picture of God, um, of course you're going to feel that way. So I would say, look at what you're focusing on. What do you? Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your if your body your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. What are you looking at that's filling up your whole body? Uh, what what are you focused on? So yeah, it, it's legitimate. That, that's there's a reason you feel that way, um, but you have a choice to what you want to focus on. I think you're going to run into problems, people, because you're at that point. Then, then I think you could get a lot of people who, driven by guilt over that feeling, would just start. Okay, well now I'm going to just listen to Christian music and I'm just going to read oh, sure. the Bible and I'm going to will these feelings away because. Clearly, those feelings are a reflection of my poor walk with Jesus. No, I wouldn't will your—I'm not saying will your 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 feelings away. I'm just saying your feelings flow downstream. You know, there 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 there's no guilt here. There's no uh, if if you're saying I don't want to feel this way, you have a choice. That's all I'm saying. You don't have to, and it doesn't. I don't think you necessarily have to go right to to Christian music or go right to church or anything. That's why I started by saying, go for a walk and see the bigger picture of creation. Uh, remember that that you're not here by accident, that have some gratefulness. I think a lot of it comes from, do you feel like life is a product of you, you uh, producing, you, you doing something, or do you see that you didn't give birth to yourself, you were, you were placed in this world as a gift, so much of what you are and what you do is a gift of God, your abilities, your talents. So re-engage with life as a gift. Um, and then also, yeah, go back to Scripture, um, not, in, not in guilt, but because you— that's like saying somebody who, who's eating bad and feels bad, it's like, man, I just feel like garbage right now. I, I don't know what it is. Well, all right, what are you eating? Um well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm eating Oreos Matt's. Oreos and Monster. Oh, yeah, Oreos and Monster. Well, I, there's probably a reason why you feel that way. Why don't you, doesn't mean you can only eat vegetables now, but find something that you like and you enjoy, but also something that God created so you feel better because you are what you eat. And and so I, I think that's how I would approach that. And that's what I've been doing. I mean, I was like, man, I just need to re-engage with, with my connection with God and, and put better stuff in my brain and my heart. And I've, I've felt it. And I've been open to more of what God is doing in my life and open to more opportunities. So you think that helps? Yeah, I do. Is, you think it won't help if you, com- you know, if you completely no, immerse I, yourself or you're, you're, that would be a fear. Like if you, if you completely immerse yourself in feeding yourself properly that, and if it doesn't work, is that? No, I, I, I'm not saying it will or it won't. I'm, I was just asking if in your experience it does. And you said yes. Yeah, I do. I, and not, not all at once, but it's a cause and effect. I mean, we have a decision on what we're going to focus on. If I, and this is with anything, not just your faith, but but if I really wanted to feel sad right now, I know exactly what I could do. You know, I could go turn on the news, immerse myself in articles about the war. I could make myself really sad right now. Or I could focus on things that are being more productive and and helpful. So I have to ask myself, like, is this helpful? If I really want to be more contact with God and my faith and a bigger purpose, what am I actually going to do to reach that goal? What am I going to focus on? I don't, and that doesn't mean every thought in my head or everything I'm doing is always going to lead that way, but I have a choice what I'm going to focus on and to choose things that are actually connected with that core value I have of, of following God. Uh, yeah, okay, so um, what do you do, uh, so I'm not disagreeing, but I just, I'm wondering more, what do you do if if you have the feeling like you're not doing enough? Okay. So you feel like, I'm a Christian, I am not doing enough. Yeah, well, that's just not Christianity. 
it's not about your enoughness. Um, but you're not doing enough. I mean, God gives you things to do. He says, go make disciples. Right. And you say, well, I look at myself and I'm not doing that enough. I should be doing that. There's no shoulds. That's the thing. I think that, and I think that people have varying levels of feeling that way. But I, if I'm ever feeling like I'm not enough, or I'm not doing enough, I'm like, I'm right where I need to be. Like, you know, and, and barring that I could probably do more in terms of, you know, studying and. But you have to have that conversation. I mean, it's it would be the same if you were talking to some, or you overheard a conversation. You were, you were with somebody and they started saying, they were feeling down or whatever. I mean, you have, you have a choice. Yeah. You have a choice. Do I share Jesus love with them or do I not? And yeah. you can't just say, well, I'm in generally speaking, I'm in the position in life that God wants me in. And uh, right now I worked really hard today at church. So I'm really tired and I really don't want to talk to this person. Yeah. Or do you talk to that person? Is that the right thing to do? Yeah. I, so I think what, what the gospel does, I love the way, C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, when you when you run into a humble person, it it's not the kind of person that's going to be saying, "Oh, humbug! I'm so I'm so bad. Look at how bad I am." That's that's not a humble person. A, a humble person doesn't even think about themselves. And I and Paul says in in Galatians two twenty says, "I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." So, I think a don't you get annoyed with people who are always talking about whether they're good or bad or always self-evaluating themselves? Uh, yes. As someone who's like that. Yes, I do. get Okay. Annoyed. Yeah. But like we, we, we see that other people and we get annoyed. Like, like, am I doing this? All right. Am I, am I okay? Am I, you know, um, and I don't think it's bad. I mean, I think it's good right. to assess. Assess. Yes. I, I in general, I think it's inevitable. Assessment is. I think it's inevitable if if God gives you a command, right? You're going to know whether you did it or not, right? And then you repent. But the the big goal is, I, I I think what Christianity does when it's really in our hearts is we have a self forgetfulness and we have a compassion for people, where we're not so worried about whether we're we're checking the did I do enough box, but you're saying. That person really needs some help. How can I help that person? And and you're, you 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 almost do things instinctively to help other people. You wake up, you're thinking, how can I make? But what somebody... if you don't do things instinctively? Right now, you're gonna feel bad that you don't have the spirit living in you. You have any thoughts on this, Annie? I don't. I I mean, I feel like I, I feel like I, know what you're saying. And I, f- I don't know how to. For me, there is a there is an openness in my heart when I can. I don't know if openness is the word, but like a, a a clarity when I stop thinking about myself and I start really thinking about just really thinking about the per- people on your team here at work or your family. Like, what does my family need right now? What what does that? What does my son need? My my kids need right now? What it. What does this church need right now? And you're so focused on loving other people. Uh, now, if you're not there, yeah, yeah, repent because we're we're just we're we're going to gravitate back to selfishness, self concern, and that's why Jesus says every day, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And so we're going to get in those kind of um, ruts. But I think if we remember that the goal. I mean, have you experienced that before, where you were more, you had that. Maybe it was just a moment where you were actually thinking, I care more about how this worship service goes for other people. I, I I want people to see this video I'm creating. I want people to hear this music and I want them to enjoy it. Where you're you have this you forget about yourself. And that's I don't know, what do you call that flow or whatever that is? I think that's living by the spirit when you're just you're not even thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm with that. So I think that's the goal. And if you're if you if you so much of our anxiety, our depression, our sadness is because we are so reflective, I think. And I, I can get in that too. Uh, so how do we get outside of ourselves? How do we how do we make our life every day about a bigger cause than ourselves? I think that's what marriage is a huge part of that. And having kids or being a part of an organization or being a part of, you know, getting a job, you, you 
all these different things kind of pull you out of yourself uh, to care about other people. I don't think it starts so by saying, I'm not doing enough. I need to try to do enough because you're still talking about yourself. Then you're still trying to measure up to some arbitrary thing that you can evaluate. I think it still has to be who are the people that need my help and how can I help them? without self-reflection. But what if you don't care about people? <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> Hypothetically. Ask, yeah, asking for a friend. <laughs> a friend. So, yeah, that's a hard issue, right? And I think that continue to work on... on Boom, on, roasted. <laughs> <laughs> but I... I fearfully I, and wonderfully made. Yeah. I... I think all of us struggle with that, right? We, we, we have a sinful nature and a new person living inside of us. And so we, our initial thoughts are probably what makes me happy. This is bothering me. I I don't like this. But in our best days, I think the more we are immersed in the life of Christ, uh, we realize that our goal is to make sacrifices. You know, you were talking about, um, this was our last podcast, about this feeling of emptiness, this kind of existential void that lots of young people are feeling. I think that we haven't taught people that, that they need to face challenges, make sacrifices for the good of the people around them. And that's actually those hard things that you face and doing things to make other people's lives better is actually one of the most fulfilling ways to live. Not, Not from running from hard things. I can't think of any counterpoints. To, <laughs> I'm trying to think of good arguments, but I'm... Because there isn't one. Oh, Jesus trumps all. <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah. It's it, it's a process. Our life of, of, of living uh, the, a new life called sanctification, it's a, it's a lifelong process. And, but it, it feels differently, right? When you are so reflective, it can just be so agonizing. But the second you have somebody to help, the second you get outside yourself, almost all of it goes away, for me at least. Okay, that's all I got, I guess. Man. We talked about everything today. Yeah. From war to waffles to <laughs> authority. There's no topic we won't cover. I'm all going right, to need go. a nap after okay. this, I think. Okay, <laughs> If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.